0: Detected Shield up <laughs> Signature detected Red alert. Context Starfleet Command What's happening? Co- context Starfleet Command Delay that order Context Starfleet Command This is the captain Context Starfleet Command Get out of my chair 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 Chair, chair. We have engaged The Klingons. The Klingons. The humans. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery It's a new Star Trek podcast From the makers of The Greatest Generation I'm Adam Pranica I'm Ben Harrison We've been going long That's what we've been doing We've been I feel like with with Lower Decks, those short half-hour episodes have meant we could kind of luxuriate in the show a little bit, and now that we've got hour-long episodes yeah. on Discovery again, I feel like our pace is off. Rob's is doing a nice job
1: of trimming out the fat, though. Like, we're sending him an hour and a half of file, and he's posting an hour and 15 minutes of show. Yeah. The only person that's suffering in this is Rob's. <laughs> And I guess our, our long-suffering wives who wish we would spend time with them, but instead we sit here and yell at each other about Star Trek for longer and longer intervals every week.
0: A lot of suffering going around, Ben. Okay. But I'm
1: just saying, like, at <laughs> least our listeners are spared.
0: Yeah. Our our listeners get the best of us. Yeah. They don't get to see what happens when we turn off these mics. They don't get to see normal life, Adam and Ben. No. I mean, nobody be would, horrified nobody would want
1: to look at that. <laughs> gross
0: yeah this is this is that uh, that dating profile version of us <laughs> where where we only seem shaved and 420 friendly mm-hmm. and drama free we take all the photographs from way over our heads to slim ourselves yeah very flattering <laughs> And instead we're we're unshorn mm-hmm. we're very hostile to 420 yeah we're total narcs and then there's
1: drama everywhere yeah and uh whether or not we're cut is going to be a total surprise to you. We're not telling.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm cut. I'm just not going to say where. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think by saying all of that, what what I kind of want to do is just get into the ep. Ben. Oh boy, I want to get into it because there's a ton of ep to deal with. This is a lot of ep. You're right. There's a lot of discovery ep, and greatest discovery is merely a. Cotton, three pound, leaky bag. to <laughs> uh-huh. ram this thing in there. We're
1: just going to dry it out and condense it like cheesecloth.
0: Greatest discovery is the paper bag you get from a grocery store that has the handles. But Lordy, those handles are not glued on well. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the glass bottles in there. Yeah,
1: yeah. If, if you get more than one Topo Chico, that thing is going to rip acro- on your way across the parking lot.
0: You're going to have a bad time. All right, well, let's let's hope for a good time here, Ben, as we discuss the fifth episode already of the third season of star trek discovery
1: yeah where are we in our 23 weeks of
0: new trek we're
1: like way well over the halfway point at this at this yeah. juncture
0: i think we're gonna make it 15 weeks through feels good yeah i'm i feel like i'm getting stronger as we go <laughs> doesn't look like it ben the episode though is called die trying yeah which i guess could be the story of greatest discovery <laughs> doing <laughs> 27 straight weeks of episodes
1: this episode nearly killed me because one of the first like three shots is a ECU on Saru's fingers yeah
0: ugh <laughs> so gross why do they do that I don't know here's an idea if you want to keep Doug Jones out of the makeup chair for an extra four hours don't do his fingers <laughs> give the guy a break hey. he's, he's super nice and
1: cool by all accounts you know you know what I say when it comes to Saru's fingers cut to the wide shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's let's
0: kill saru's fingers
1: <laughs> let's watch him come apart in a million pieces in space some nebula in the background
0: so we already know canonically that the doors uh in star Trek really do a number on the genitals <laughs> uh, what a, if saru just uh, just kept his fingers on a closing door Could really help out the actor who plays him, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh,
1: They're about to get to HQ. This is a captain's log. I think it's Saru's first official log as captain. He's busting, Jerry. Captain's log, supplemental. They're about to be at at the HQ of both Starfleet and the Federation. They're two great tastes that taste great together
0: with saru how do you know that a moment is important when everything he does is speechified (laughs) (laughs) it felt big to me maybe that's the the score doing the work there i mean it is big and there's there's like prep to be done you want to what you want is is to have a good first impression with with going back to starfleet hq you want to Make sure the ship's looking good. You want to make sure the you know, uniforms are pressed. You want to make sure that you've got all your logs and reports ready mm-hmm. to give over. Right. Best behavior time.
1: Yeah. I mean, the crew is excited and Burnham is particularly excited because like maybe we'll find some information out about the recent history of the timeline we have found ourselves into. in. But also, you know, this is a big spacefaring organization and maybe she can get to the bottom of whence her mom because uh, that was like the big promise of the future for her she would be reunited with her mother
0: there's an interesting asymmetry being established here and i think saru calls her on it which is michael's the only person on the ship who actually has someone to look forward to seeing yeah and that's not a bell that the show is ringing particularly loudly at the moment it seems like something that would be that would put her in conflict with her friends at some point
1: there's a lot of interesting stuff about that that has not been unpacked much yet i thought in this moment about Mary Universe Giorgio, and her motherly feelings toward Michael, and how mm-hmm. complicated those must be when you know like at the cocktail party of their lives, Michael Burnham is always looking f- across the room yeah. to get out of the conversation
0: right, right.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that uh like the first four episodes are kind of about getting getting their bearings and trying to get the ship pointed in this direction and now that they're here it feels like we uh maybe are going to experience a bit of a reset of what the myth arc is going to be about
0: what you want to do when you arrive at starfleet hq is show your whole ass and that's why the disco arrives with the shuttle bay door open (laughs) ben i don't even know if they have a shuttle bay door on disco do they it's been a long-ass time since I've seen it, if so. Isn't it, like, uh, like sectional, and it can co- kind of, like, chung, 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 chung across? Am I remembering that from something else? Like the event space of a hotel? Yeah. <laughs> like, where you partition off the different parts of a room? Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that tracks. Yeah. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but I... I...
1: I did love the shot of uh, of the camera sweeping over the back of it as it entered the oobleck of the distortion field around Starfleet
0: HQ. You really got to trust that where they're going is someplace real, right? Because that distortion field just makes it look like nothing. You could be running into anything. Yeah, Nagilum could be in there. It could be all kinds of bad stuff going on. I thought when Adira gave Michael Burnham the coordinates, the coordinates would be significant like Kronosh? What the fuck? <laughs> but but to my knowledge, like the that moment in the last episode was just, "Oh yeah, th- this is where it is. This is this is home." Right. It wasn't it wasn't where it was. It was where it was in this way.
1: It was totally un treasure It wasn't the back tattoo in Waterworld or anything like that. I mean, they they called it an algorithm, but I think it was just coordinates.
0: Right. Here's where it is. That's how you fuck up the season, Ben. Uh, Adira drops her robe to get into the Ankylosaur pond, revealing the giant back piece.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Before I was Adira tall, I was Adira Affleck. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Speaking of luxuriating, we get a nice, long, luxurious uh, pan around the area here. We get some good looks at a number of ships here. They're all long. They're so long. Yeah. A bunch of long boys in here. It's been a, a real style for quite a while in
1: the uh, current era of the Federation to make very long starships. Yeah. Uh, I found myself wondering because they're talking about these revolutionary materials that they're made Mm -hmm. of some of them are biological some of them have uh, have rainforests growing in them and i wondered are any of these warp capable and yeah i mean because they talk about warp cores
0: right detached nacelles where do they even put the warp core maybe you have separate warp cores inside each nacelle so that if you got the reading that one of them were gonna explode you could just jettison that guy
1: yeah yeah, you don't have to eject the core, you just
0: steer the ship away from the core. Yeah. Yeah, no chonkers to be seen anywhere around the fleet. That's too bad. Like no no thick boy Excelsior ship. <laughs> They've totally abandoned the Del Sol class as a design. And look, I know I know the image of the of the Voyager is gonna flood everyone's basement, but like where's the hood? Where's the, yeah. where's the hood J? <laughs> uh, did
1: you notice that they went by the USS Nog at one point in this I sequence? Did. I did
0: see that. That was probably the, the, the thick boy of the fleet. Yeah, that's the that's the thickest daddy. The one with the most verticality was the Nog, for sure.
1: <laughs> Which, ironic, given how how short Nog was as a character.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, the USS Nog only has the one nacelle, though. So that's uh pretty sad.
1: It has one synthetic nacelle and one natural <laughs> nacelle. <laughs> yeah. I love the I love the mood of this scene. I I loved the crew like geeking out about the ships. I loved their
0: excitement and relief. I love how na- Nan is the last one to say something, which leaves her with scout ship to observe. <laughs> Everyone's calling out the awesome classes of ships and Nan, you know, not wanting to be left out is like cool a a rental canoe class starship from <laughs> from search for spock awesome <laughs> the
1: radio chirps out that uh th- they're expecting captain first officer and Senatal over there at hq so uh michael Sabru and uh adira beam over and uh, they arrive. It's 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 like one of those like where is the welcoming committee moments Cause, and I think that TNG just trained us to always expect somebody to be standing waiting for visiting dignitaries in the transporter room, but they get like a they get like a little bit of a walk out to the main atrium before anyone comes up and <laughs> says hi to them.
0: I agree with you, Ben. They just kind of arrive and they aren't greeted because. This is a moment that kind of cements the idea that everyone's a little bit too busy to be excited. There's an asymmetry of excitement here, isn't there? Like the disco crew psyched, everyone else just trying to get to work. It's like being a tourist in
1: New York, right? You know what it even kind of feels like is Luke showing up at the uh, at the rebel base for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like it's where he has wanted to go the whole movie, but nobody there cares about him or knows who he is. Right. So this admiral comes out, uh, Charles Vance, commander in chief and his uh, security head, Lieutenant Willa. And uh, he greets them. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. And kind of continues this mood. And. He's not a diplomat. Like, he's not there to put them at ease. He's, uh, like, ready to receive them. He's, he was expecting them. But he does give you moments to consider, like, is Starfleet still a cool organization? Like, is this where we want to be? Or uh, are, are they going to have, like, a totally different vibe than what we were hoping?
0: I think we're still waiting for the introduction to our first cool CNC. <laughs>
1: yeah, cncs have really tended to be jerks
0: they're all hard asses every one of them and yeah. admiral grecian formula makes me wonder like <laughs> where is his ufp counterpart right like because we we understand the the org chart to be that the cnc still reports to the federation president that person right. has to be somewhere right
1: Well, actually, all of the civilian leadership at Starfleet HQ is being replaced in a way that is like really unnerving (laughs) suddenly. So uh, it's just it just happens that they showed up on a day where it's a little unclear who's in charge. The disco crew comes into this with reasonable confidence that Starfleet is still cool because everyone that they've met has been like, yeah, like we miss Starfleet, like we've been waiting for Starfleet, we want Starfleet back. And... Uh-huh. But Vance, like he kind of runs roughshod over that initially. Like he, he like looks at Saru and he's like, "Wow, a Kelpian! Holy shit!"
0: I want to run roughshod over this Ben because like every person they've met in the future has been a jerk, right?
1: They've met a lot of pirates, but they've also met like I mean, like the the Trill people were standoffish and weird, but then realized the error of their ways. The like the the minor guys in, in episode two were like just excited about Starfleet, right?
0: Yeah. I
1: think that what the season has done so far is established that the people that have taken or or kept power in this future have done so sort of at the tip of a spear. And there are a lot of people that wish that it was not that way anymore.
0: And that it's possible to warm those cold, cold hearts if you just make an effort, right? That's the lesson (laughs) of season three, Star Trek Discovery. But when Vance starts talking to Saru, like you, like
1: the the subtext of Saru's reaction is like, "Oh shit, the Kelpians are all dead," and then yeah. he's like, "No, no, they're just like out of range. It's not. It's not that they're dead. And in fact, like good things happened. They were they were part of the Federation for a while.
0: They evolved in some interesting ways. For example, their hands do not make me want to vomit when I look <laughs> at them.
1: Uh, we also. Uh, in this scene, dismiss Adira for the rest of the episode. She yeah. is uh, sent off to be evaluated, and I guess her symbiont's sent off to be evaluated. Like, before we know that Starfleet is cool, in a way that I was like, oh, no. It just, they just took Adira to the meat grinder.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because we get so many scenes of interrogation among the crew, and because we don't see hers... You're left to wonder how that's going, right? Indeed, she doesn't seem like she could hold up under under vigorous interrogation. I would say, yeah, teen geniuses haven't gone through SEAL training, typically, right? I got no place else to go. There's a reference to the idea of the Emerald Chain. Like, for as secretive as this admiral is about giving any information uh, to Saru and Michael Burnham like a lackey shows up she's like hey boss the emerald chain strikes again led by Osira." uh this emerald chain is a combination of the orion and the andorians (laughs) like in the very same scene that the admiral's like we can't really tell you about anything that we're doing until we're able to debrief you (laughs) which is it admiral
1: yeah He's he's like, hey, uh, Jane, do you mind talking to me about this stuff in my office when I don't have strangers standing
0: here next to me in thousand year old uniforms? Starfleet (laughs) HQ is not a place with those uh, mirror screen protectors that where you only can (laughs) can see what's on the screen from a certain angle.
1: Yeah, yeah. You rent a car there, you can see everything.
0: Interesting that the Emerald Chain was the crew that, uh, that ran that mercantile from a couple episodes ago. I remember hearing that. That terminology back then. Oh, uh, I, I feel like this is the te- first time we've heard Osira. Yeah,
1: that stuck out to me because this actor that plays Admiral Grecian Formula was in the Mummy films. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. So a name that sounds like a uh, an Egyptian god was fun to hear coming out of his mouth. Do those movies
0: hold up? I remember at the time uh, being delighted by them.
1: Listen. You put Rachel Weiss on a screen, I'm going to yeah. sit down and watch the thing that Rachel Weiss is doing. Hard agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are also some refugees here at Starfleet HQ. They are, are Keeley, and uh, they've come aboard with a very critical case of mad cow disease.
0: I'm not sick. I just can't stop. Eating. The idea that, uh, that they're overloading their ability to treat them is shown in addition to told because uh on the first level of the shopping mall they're walking around in like they can see over the over the railing into where they're (laughs) triaging these patients they're like oh you have a foot locker down there cool it's a little too out in the open for for my comfort i think
1: they have to spill out into the hallway because they're so overloaded
0: these unlucky bastards don't get a private room it sucks so they,
1: they get kind of called into the office with the admiral, who explains to them that uh, the artificial intelligences that Starfleet uses have gotten vastly more annoying in the last nine centuries.
0: Are you prone to emotional exaggeration? Yeah, and you can tell the, uh, the EMH by its white bow tie. <laughs> its white bow tie and its black shoes? Yeah. Very weird character here. He's very sophisticated. He can also tell when you're lying, which I guess is a big software bump from <laughs> the EMHs we're used to, which are easily able to be manipulated by by telling them lies, right? I
1: guess so. Anyways,
0: the thing
1: that this scene explains is that by showing up here, the Disco have actually put the Admiral in a really tough legal position because of the temporal, like the time travel war that they spent a century fighting. And the discovery was from a time that was not signatory to any time travel treaty, but it, it puts him in a tight spot. And I, I mean, like, I remember vaguely the time travel war stuff from Star Trek Enterprise. And I think it is nice work on the, writing team's part to like honor that continuity but also like kind of use it to create an interesting conflict here.
0: As much of a jerk as Admiral Just for Men is being like I totally get it. There's nothing corroborating Saru and Michael Burnham's story at all. Right? Like they're laying the Red Angel story out on the table and, and the spore drive tech and all this and the Admiral's like yeah I mean never heard of it. So, I mean... <laughs> You're not in the history books, and, right. and that's a problem. Like the, and, and they
1: knew that this was going to be the case. The whole plan was Disco has to be a secret
0: going forward. And the vibe, you know, from Jump has always been, he's barely got enough time to deal with this anyway. He's got a pretty full plate yeah. uh, going on. And, you know what, for expediency's sake, uh, he's going to have to take the ship and the crew and put it to use until they can, you know, figure out whether or not the evidence that Burnham and Saru are laying out can be believed. Saru
1: loves getting an order that's kind of a plate of shit, I feel like. He loves
0: licking boot.
1: Yeah, Michael does not. Um, I, I feel like the their kind of good cop, bad cop dynamic is starting to develop here where the Admiral starts kind of announcing this and Michael Burnham is like,
0: what the hell are you talking about? And Saru is like, "Mm, ignore my colleague. (laughs) We're going to do whatever you tell us to do. They kind of disagree about what to do now. They certainly don't like the idea of the ship being requisitioned and the crew being separated. But while Saru is a total company man about things, Burnham is like, what if we prove our worth by saving the Keeley in a kind of nerd's need to win the summer regatta over the rich assholes who live across the lake so they can save their <laughs> summer camp situation. And Saru's like, I'm not familiar with that type of movie. And that sounds like the sort of trouble that we wouldn't want to get into. Saru disagrees in such a condescending way. It does wind up becoming the
1: plan, though, because yeah. like Saru moves forward assuming that what the admiral ordered is going to stand but yeah. he does he does let michael like broach this topic he so i mean it sucks like, cuz he like does all the emotional damage to the crew of announcing this Like before it's a fait accompli. (laughs) He gets them all together in the shuttle bay and he's like, hey, so we're all breaking up now. And uh, that's just that's just how it's
0: going to be. Trust the process or whatever. Saru's like, your mother and I are getting divorced. Uh, We're both going to drive you to school. And then when the child is picked up after school, acting like everything's fine. (laughs) Nothing has changed at all. Yeah, I'm going to be at a uh,
1: hotel down by the airport, but it's going to have like a hot plate and a kitchen sink part to
0: the room. So it's not going to be that different. We get the trauma of this moment, but we don't get the follow-up with the trauma. It's just the the beginning and that's it.
1: Yeah. Well, what it leads to for the crew is their uh, artificial intelligence debrief, Mm -hmm. which they you know, take about as well as you might expect. And uh, I liked this scene a lot. I thought it was a fun trip down Disco memory lane, like describing other episodes while Jet Reno eats Red Hot Blues and Salsa.
0: It was neat to consider like that moment where Burnham and Saru are laying the story out for the Admiral sounds pretty nuts. But then like you compound the nuts... (laughs) <laughs> With Culver and Reno's story and Stamets' story and Tilly's mirror universe story, and then like the the counterpoint of Nan just acting like a prisoner of war, right. only doing name and ID number, <laughs> was was pretty big fun too.
1: Yeah, the stories are nuts. Like... Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but in such a fun way. And uh, and while this is happening is when Saru and Michael Burnham approach Willa about this, maybe we can go help the Keeley plan. And and what they come up with is the Keeley were like on a long trip and probably stopped in a bunch of places. So one of the places they stopped is where they picked up the disease that they are suffering from. And it's a planet that in Saru and Michael Burnham's time was on the verge of some kind of ecological catastrophe, but they might be able to find a sample of the plants that uh, predates that catastrophe in a federation seed vault ship the uss Tikov.
0: the the creely ate some unwashed produce ben (laughs) yeah you're not supposed to do bad times
1: or washed produce in a country that uh you're not supposed to drink the water in. you
0: know right god different rules for different places you can get it coming and going yeah O is one of the interview subjects here. She gets ganged up on by three people, two hollow interviewers, and a David Cronenberg uh, (laughs) in a a super fun cameo. Yeah. Might not be a cameo. He might be a a recurring character. I wondered about that because he does
1: sort of seem like he's being set up as a person that she's going to bounce off of. Yeah. Like... Like, the first thing she says to him is like, I might, I might get to like you.
0: That's because he opens up a case and places like some weird bio-mechanical, like, <laughs> ball on the table for her to fuck. Like, <laughs> some sick David Cronenberg shit. Tomorrow you won't even notice it. <laughs> he's,
1: he's the only guy walking around with a phaser that's made out of meat.
0: <laughs> yeah. O is <laughs> maybe the most comfortable with this kind of scene.
1: Yeah, the debrief is really interesting because we learn that the prime universe has actually been studying mirror universe genetics. That mirror universe Giorgio can hack the holograms by blinking at them. The implications of all of this are very interesting. Like it seems like the mirror universe is harder to get to now than it once was.
0: Yeah, the way Cronenberg puts it is that they've they've grown apart in yeah. proximity. Which is a weird thing to think about, like universe proximity being a thing. But it's been 500 years since there's been a crossing, as he puts it. And this really upsets Giorgio in a way that we rarely see her upset. Yeah, she is
1: on her heel for basically the whole episode. She gets one up on the holograms, but then once she does that, she's kind of lost her status for the rest of the episode.
0: She's super upset here, and then Cronenberg puts in a VHS tape of Crash. The good <laughs> Crash, I mean. And then we stay with Giorgio for the rest of the episode as she watches it.
1: It's pretty fucked up. I mean, like... <laughs> You don't expect to see that kind of stuff on a streaming service even, you know? No. Like you usually, have to, you usually have to go to an R-rated movie for that type of thing, but yeah. there it is.
0: So they get permission to do this seed ship thing, like the plan to go get the seed ship, to get the, uh, the cure. A man, a plan, a seed ship, prions. But the deal is, they need to leave Saru as uh, as collateral, which yeah, I mean, Burnham is more than happy to do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this, was, yeah, like she she
1: kind of bad cops them into getting the gig because initially the admiral wants to put his own people on the disco. And just take stamets in the disco and go do it. And she's like, we can we can go now like we don't need to waste time training your people on this project like those people in there are dying. Let's go let's go do this right And so she takes command of the ship and I would describe her as being almost performatively professional because she's got Lieutenant Willa like looking kind of kind of class monitor. Kind of vibes, standing in the back of the room, just watching how things go. And this is Michael Burnham, like wearing the captain's hat in a big way, and really demonstrating her competence. You know, it, 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 like I thought a lot about your theory that she will ascend to the captain's chair in this season. And every mistake Saru has made, making the case for that, is one thing. But Michael Burnham's performative captainness in this scene was. Uh, just as much a case for that, I thought, as anything else.
0: A couple of things about that I wanted to drill down on is, one, I, I agree, like the way Michael Burnham is in this scene is different. It's made even more different, I think, because every other bridge crew person is permitted to be themselves while on duty. Michael Burnham's the only one who has to change the code, with herself a little bit. Yeah. And that's striking. Like, I've never heard Michael Burnham say Black Alert before, but you can tell when she says those words that there's like an extra emphasis on it. Like, totally. That, that's meaning a couple of things.
1: Black Alert. That's also the show making a GIF that will be. Right. very important on Twitter for the rest of history
0: <laughs> black alert is the new hell yeah <laughs> but also someone i think tweeted at me or or wrote a comment that was like is the reason that saru is such a poor captain because of how he's evolved as a kelpian like not having the ability to register threat and to and to do threat assessment the way he used to, is that making him more of a dupe than he ordinarily would be? And is that compromising his ability to be a captain? I think that's an interesting theory.
1: I believe that was a theory that I floated on the last episode.
0: <laughs> really? That was you.
1: <laughs> I, or maybe I just tweeted it at you. I don't know.
0: I'm always here just thinking of things to say. I'm rarely listening to what you're going on about.
1: So. <laughs> That's why we've uh, got such a great dynamic as as
0: co-hosts. It's a, it's a very Pulp Fiction situation. I kind of wished that they'd had
1: Willa be a little bit more freaked out to be on board this ship because she's like dunking on it as being a fossil at the beginning and then when they, they like they do the jump and then they're like flying into this ion storm where the where the T-COV is and they're getting bangers dropped on them and Detmer's like a little distracted initially Like, I wanted to cut to Willa and have her just be like, this was a fucking mistake. I shouldn't have gotten in this rickety-ass ship. What am I doing
0: here? Oh, my God. (laughs) I wish she was more specific with her her put-down. Like, you and I agree that, like, the, the put downs that feel the best are when they're like super strategically cutting mm-hmm. like for her to be on the ship and to say like it's an antique doesn't cut as much as like her looking at where people are sitting and going like your, your chairs have legs on them what the <laughs> fuck
1: i can't believe your primitive ass chairs have to be attached to the floor yeah. not to fall down
0: are you kidding me and then like we hook up the snl vomit pipe to her hand and then as soon as they <laughs> as soon as they emerge from the spore jump she just uh! totally pukes <laughs> that would have been great what is
1: his book by the way
0: they let him go oh they, they let him go uh, around sector 001 as far as i remember Fuck, man! I want Book to come back. I thought he was going to be like a main cast character this season. Yeah, they what they did is they uh, they number one Book. They we thought we thought Picard season one was going to be all about that dog. Mm. The dog's just on a poster. That's it. That's the, the same goes for Book. You know what? I bet he's going to swoop back in and save the day at some point. Oh, that'd be cool. Like uh, Han Solo kind of kind of role yeah. for Book. Yeah, I'm into
1: that. This Ion Storm uh, is defeated pretty quickly, and then they've got the Tikov, and uh, it's a ship that was in the... uh, There's kind of like a rotating supervisorial role that uh, different Federation species have for this ship. Uh, You you take your shift, and a Barzan family was was the last species to take over the Tikov, so... is very exciting for Non, who uh, has not seen any Barzan people since she joined Starfleet, she says.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and Will is like, the Barzans joined the Federation a long time ago, so it's not really a big deal for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I see Barzans all the time.
0: Her resting... Dismissiveness of basically every moment of excitement is is the through line for her this entire episode yeah she's like try to lock it down non when you go <laughs> over there okay yeah are you oh are you gonna be super excited like Saru was
1: when he found out his people were in the Federation right. uh, who gives a fuck there's no
0: Federation anymore like we're made to understand that the seed ship is very important its contents yes. extremely valuable do you understand it like the reason it's not being protected the way something of its value should be is because no one can get out to it like it's a it's a warp problem and not a uh, a priority problem?
1: Yes. I think that it's also not a not a prize that would be super valuable to anyone else like
0: that's what I was confused about. Like in a, in a universe where it's all about trading and all about bartering. I had a hard time looking at the ship going like this ship should be under attack all the time. Really? Stuff on here should be valuable. I don't know. I, I feel like a line of dialogue would have fixed this somehow. Mm -hmm. There shouldn't have been a question about it. I just feel
1: like there's replicators and stuff. So like, like most of what you would want these seeds for is like food cultivation and just like a historical genetic record. And both of those are problems that are like pretty much solved most places. Whereas the getting around thing and like more like things that are not possible to replicate are the, are the thing that couriers are all about. Uh, They beam over to the garden center starship, and uh, Nan takes off her breathing apparatus and her eyes change. I thought this was a very weird moment. I, I feel like part of it was that I just hadn't really noticed anything, like, particularly strange about her eyes. Right. Well, at first glance, her eyes are brown. But when the light hits them, they change to amber. But then I was also like, why, like, why would the atmosphere affect her eyes? <laughs> why did they write this into the script? Like, who gives a shit? Did they just not want to put the the particular contact lenses on the extras that they cast as the Barzan family.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think if what you're trying to do is establish a, a visual component to the idea that Nana is returning to a type of home, you need to draw an equi- a greater equivalency between her and the remaining crew on the ship. And I wonder if they just wanted to emphasize that more than just verbally or or through a relationship, if if they just wanted wanted a person to be able to see it. Yeah. We just
1: don't know Nan that well. And I feel like this is yeah. an episode that maybe poses more questions about Nan than it answers. And then <laughs> dismisses her.
0: This feels like the Arium problem all over again. It's a show placing an extreme amount of value on a character that it hasn't necessarily uh, shared with the viewer. Right. As soon as they take their helmets off, uh, everyone kind of covers up their nose and mouth because, unfortunately, Ben, uh, every plant on the seed ship is a cum plant. (laughs) 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 And it is gross.
1: We cut back to Starfleet HQ where Muggs Interrogator sort of, he's he's revealed himself to be sort of a, a Mirror Universe nerd. Yeah. Like... He he has like all the history of of the mirror universe and mirror universe interactions with the prime universe, and she is she is really starting to like you could tell that she's kind of like chilled just talking to him like yeah he talks about like the Terran Empire fell in like like hundreds of years ago like not even like recently like it's it's been a long time like, I mean the Terran Empire fell after Kirk and Spock interacted with them right. I want to
0: know all about that. Give me more.
1: It's post-Terran Empire in Deep Space Nine. It's like I, the the rebellion or whatever. So he, he's really just dumping bucket after bucket of ice water on her uh, level of excitement. And he's also kind of figured her out, right? He's like, he, he knows that she's only followed the disco into this timeline because there's somebody on the crew that she really cares about. And that's a level of vulnerability that seems like almost almost intolerable to Mug.
0: Yeah. It's weird to see her this way. She definitely does not have the upper hand. Rare. Back on the seed ship, they find a hollow projection of this Barzan family. And one of the kids is humming the same tune that Adira played on her cello. So that's weird. Yeah both weird that it's
1: happening and weird that it's in the script i feel like the like i did not see this coming as like a a moment for uh myth arc details to be peppered in but uh but there it is it's the same song that adira was playing and michael is like it's a mystery everybody a mystery right aren't we excited a new mystery and calbro's like i'm gonna smell some
0: some more of these plants (laughs) I might take some of these home with me. (laughs) Burnham needs to go into the seed vault. This isn't like the ship is the seed ship, but within the ship, there's the vault part where all the seeds are kept. And and to get in there, Burnham needs the disco to beam her into it. It's it's a place without doors, I guess.
1: Yeah. The only way in or out is via transporter. And uh, she finds that it's got higher security than she was expecting. There's like a... There's like a Siri globe in the middle that she's trying to ask about how to get this seed that they need and it asks for a password. She doesn't know the password.
0: Now, outside of the seed vault, Nan starts playing uh, the logs, the video logs of of the crew and she sees uh, she sees Dr. Addis, who's the guy who runs the ship. A a character that I'm going to call Vince Nan. Because he looks so much like Vince Vaughn to me. Wow. I
1: I called him Clark Ruffalo in my notes.
0: (laughs) Both of these are really good.
1: (laughs) It's a hollow projection. And so he's like, he's got these glitchy things happening to him that I interpreted as problems with the hologram, but they interpret as problems with him. Right. Like he is, he is out of phase, and he's like he's both like rejecting reality because his family died, but also he is, uh, you know, out of phase with the universe.
0: I love Star Trek, like, watches a television show with an antenna and goes, like, it isn't just a a bad signal. Like, those people (laughs) on the TV screen are actually glitchy and fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Like, in the next,
1: like, three minutes of show, they, like, radio to the engineering section on the disco where Stamets, Jet Reno, and Tilly, like receive this information and immediately solve the problem of, oh, their ship must have been hit by a coronal mass injection. And he was in a <laughs> transporter beam while it happened. And it's like, what? That was like a two episode arc of TNG that just happened right there. <laughs> Like, what the fuck just
0: happened? <laughs> Nan's like, we got a lawnmower man situation over here. And they're like, bam, they fixed it.
1: <laughs> and Lieutenant Will is like, wow, you guys are really unprofessional, but you did solve that problem in a way that was stupefyingly fast.
0: It occurs to me now that Willa is playing the part of Keith David in Armageddon, where all she does is observe people and then have a flip comment. About what she's <laughs> observing, right? Why don't
1: we just send up 150 nuclear warheads and blast that rock apart?
0: That's just good security, Adam. <laughs> There's a secret room, Ben, on the on the seed ship, and it's fill It's the cryo room, is what it is. Yeah, he's
1: got a couple of members of his family, and then like a, a banker, a school teacher, and a like a country music legend <laughs> frozen in there,
0: right? A, a separate cryo chamber for a five dollar carnival guitar. <laughs> you want to keep that thing in tune. Yeah,
1: these people are dead though. Like, and right. and this is something that uh, that Addis in his logs does not seem to be processing. And they're talking. They talked to Nan at one point, and she's like, "Well, like the the way my culture thinks about death is very different
0: from." The way yours does. (laughs) I love that moment of like five seconds after she says that no one says anything expecting her to go on. She does not go on.
1: They realize that the way they need to, uh, to fix the situation is by doing kind of the reverse of the transporter problem to Dr. Addis and they lure him to the chamber his
0: family is in
1: by just turning the power off on the cryo chambers.
0: <laughs> Liquid starts pouring out of the bottom of these chambers like this <laughs> this reddish milky substance. Yeah. It's awful looking. After Nan
1: does a terrible job of it Michael Burnham steps in and is able to talk him into uh, giving them the secret password for the seed vault so that they can get the seeds that they need. And uh and then Nunn kind of writes herself off the show.
0: This moment is a real inflection point in the episode and in the season. Culber sees Nan feebly try to counsel Vince Nan, and then like kind of Soto Voce walks up to Michael Burnham and he's like, You need to be the main character of this episode. This is this is not working. <laughs> And so Michael Burnham cuts to the front of the episode line and like does an intervention, basically. Yeah, and it works. He uh, he
1: he agrees to it. They get their seeds, and he's he's like back to okay enough to give password, but he's not okay enough to uh, to stay alone by himself on this ship and survive. Like he needs medical intervention, and he's refusing to go with um, and Doctor Culber kind of rides for like that's his informed choice to make like just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not a valid choice but it does leave them with a problem because they can't just leave the seed vault with nobody and that's what Dr. Addis is quickly going to become. But uh, the environment on this ship is just right for Nan, so she volunteers to be the -the not-on-the-brink-of-death Barzan to stay behind and see the mission through.
0: Yeah, so Nan is going to be Vince Nan's power-of-attorney person until he dies. (laughs) She's like, I was
1: was performatively grossed out when we beamed over here, but I actually love this smell.
0: (laughs) Yum, yum. I really like the Seed Vault location. It reminded me a lot of the spinning rings and Event Horizon, the way it was lit and the way that the rings locked together and stuff.
1: I loved it too. I loved how like artsy fartsy it was. Like I kind of feel like Starfleet would be like, okay, we're putting together a Seed Vault ship, and we want like a really interesting, like artistic design for how it's going to work. So like all the right. all the ka chunk ka chunk of the rings turning around, I thought it was really cool and good.
0: This conversation that Nan has with Burnham goes from heavy to light almost immediately. And I think this was an observation you made, which was like the expediency with which we go through some scenes and how long we're allowed to linger in others is an interesting and very intentional choice because the decision for Nan to stay behind would seem to be very heavy. But yeah. it it turns into a kind of eulogy that Nan gives to Michael Burnham, making it about Michael Burnham and not Nan and her sacrifice. I mean, I think that
1: Nan has given voice to the idea that she is motivated by somewhat mysterious forces uh, a couple of times. Like she says the thing about like, I came here because of what happened to Arium. Like Mm -hmm. she's like balancing some kind of cosmic ledger that since Arium died a soldier's death, she needs to do right by her in some way. And I feel like undergirded in this scene where like it is a eulogy and she quotes Michael Burnham's eulogy about what Starfleet
0: means. I could have used a little more parody here in that, like (laughs) I kept waiting for Nan to be like, now you say something nice about me and then we'll go our (laughs) separate ways. But that moment never comes. It's almost like Michael Burnham is, is like, michael jordan in the in the last dance documentary like she takes it personally that that non would ever rise to the level of main character in an episode and she can't have that like that's what the eulogy does she was like all right well anyways i gotta go and she beams out of there
1: and they head back to federation hq
0: i like that shot when the ship leaves and non watches she's really picture framed with the with the plants and stuff that's very very cool moment God, these
1: Keely must be so excited that the cure for their disease comes through right at the moment where they need it most. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the Keeley, like, get introduced to the Disco crew or anything. Like, hey, like, who brought us this medicine? Would have been a fun scene. Culber is one of the people to inject them, so that's fun. Yeah, but uh, now they have kind of a... They have a bit of a track record with uh admiral Jesterman and they're able to make the case like keep the keep the gang together this is a ship and a crew that are going to be a unique element in your armada we, and we are like good together and we are good with this ship and he's like well I did notice that Detmer's hands got shaky at one point. Is that going to be a thing? And they're like, "We're working on Detmer. Detmer's gonna work. Like we're gonna start giving her like shoulder rubs twice a week." It's like, all right. Well, I'll give it a. I'll give you guys a shot.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. the The relative value of discovery in this in this time and place is priceless, and uh, an admiral just for men seems okay with with putting. Her under the control of uh, of Lieutenant Shaky Hands. Is Denver the only pilot that
1: came with them in the jump? Seems that way. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting in the scene for him to say like, "I like you guys are a little like short-staffed. We're going to give you like some replenishment crew, some you know, some people to work the odd shifts or something like that." Like, right because i because i think that that would like not necessarily be what saru and michael burnham want in this moment but would be like a reasonable compromise right and i kind of wish that they'd come to that rather than just saru and michael burnham
0: get a hundred percent of what they want i completely agree yeah because when the admiral's like fine uh it's a deal but you work for me now that seems like (laughs) okay (laughs) sure (laughs) that seems like a great deal so it seems like what
1: happened in the burn is going to become the big question in the, in the myth arc of the show. And like secondary to that is where is Michael Burnham's mother? And to what extent does this song play into the like what happened with the burn? Because he says like, you know, there's there's all these clues and like theories about what happened, but nobody actually knows for sure. Uh, So I I think that they're kind of uh, pointing the episode at the idea that this lullaby that everybody seems to know, despite being separated by light years that cannot be easily traversed, is, uh, is, is starting to be implied here.
0: And what does Cronenberg have to do with either of those? I wonder, is Cronenberg's character the fourth line on this chart? I don't know. Yeah. There are a couple of little button scenes. We get the scene of
1: the Keeley being saved.
0: <laughs> it would have been great if uh, if the other doctors, like the modern doctors, look at Culber walking up to this Creeley like what are you doing with that giant needle like <laughs> like the discovery equivalent of a hypo spray is like very painful and disturbing yeah. to everyone who uses modern medicine <laughs> it's like Bones in Star Trek 4 going yeah. like oh my god what are they doing <laughs>
1: uh, there's the scene where Michael Burnham runs into Mug in the hallway and Mug is kind of like in a fugue state for a second and then kind of snaps out of it and uh, scolds michael for asking like how how are you doing or whatever
0: <laughs> yeah how dare you care about me michael burnham i wonder if david cronenberg was blinking at her yeah it makes you wonder right because the last time we saw cronenberg and georgio together she was busting his com badge yeah maybe there was something inside the com badge maybe it was full of drugs yeah. And
1: uh, a a final scene where Saru again has to ask Michael Burnham to stop being so fucking insubordinate when we're in, tr- in front of the Admiralty.
0: Yeah. She needs more chill for Saru and she promises to be more chill, I guess. You don't always have to be bad cop. You can be good cop sometimes. Yeah.
1: And I'll also be good cop.
0: Good cop with these disgusting fingers. <laughs> Did you like the episode Adam? I think I'm starting to get this season a little bit more. Like this this TNG style mystery of the week is yeah. something I'm starting to vibe with again and it took a few episodes to find an equilibrium with it. Like I kept I feel like I kept straining against episodes this season with a why aren't we moving forward fast enough? Like I'm I'm used to I'm used to like flying over the arc of a season faster and higher and like yeah yeah and and feeling like more breathless by the story and and season 3 is by comparison just a a more deliberate kind of unrolling of the thing that I think 5 episodes in I might finally have gotten used to that that speed in a way that's useful I thought the episode had interesting scenes it had some scenes that did not work for me uh like saru continues to confound me in in what he's being given like for him to speechify the admiral about ancient earth history didn't make a lick of sense at all like he should be using a a kelpian metaphor there like what the fuck does he know about the renaissance i love that the admiral was like i don't like i don't need the metaphor just tell me what you're thinking about i love that too and that's and that's kind of what made the admiral one of my favorite characters of this ep he's just kind of like put upon like he just yeah. doesn't have the time for this
1: ship it's super well written because he's like he seems dangerous, but not because he's bad. Because he is uh, yeah. distracted and harried, and doesn't see the disco as an opportunity to like take weight off of his shoulders.
0: Sensitive people get their feelings hurt by others who are just trying to get their work done and don't and don't have the time or the inclination to make a personal connection when. When we're working on a project and so like i understand that that conflict between disco crew hyper emotional super personable (laughs) and the idea of like showing up into this future and everyone being all about that work
1: yeah if you weren't sure if the disco crew was an emotional and personal group that 10 minute sequence of them just being excited about spaceships at the beginning (laughs)
0: I think even the uh, the EMH has that moment when he looks at Michael Burnham and is and is like, "Do you ever feel like you you're exaggerated emotionally, like all the time, in a way that's a problem for everyone around you?" I thought that was that was a show knowing its character in that moment yeah. too. One final thing I wanted to say before asking you the same question, Ben, is this <laughs> home. Keeps getting referred to in this episode, especially over and over and over again. It gets yeah. used in a aspirational kind of way. In a uh, "won't it be great to be home finally?" We've mm-hmm. finally gotten home when we're when we've reached uh, Federation HQ. Uh, Admiral Just for men uses it as a threat. Almost, you're not home yet. Finally, at the end, he says, "Welcome home," or whatever. Those are just a few of the many examples of that being either used as an as something to attract or defend against. Yeah. What do you make of the show and the episode and the crew calling what is basically a starbase home? And I think Michael Burnham contradicts this later when she talks about home being people and the relationships she's made. I don't quite understand so many people agreeing with the idea that starfleet hq is home rather than earth rather than the ship rather than their quarters it's because the word is used so often in the episode it was something that i thought about a whole bunch hmm i mean if you think about like what the crew of the
1: ship has gone through in the last two seasons and how few times they've had to just like stop and chill. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like it might be an elusive concept for them too. And just having a sense of this is a safe place to be being a, a prized feeling that they have been deprived of for a really long time. So I wonder if they're purposely written as being a little confused about that themselves.
0: It's strange that the idea of home must be a thing that is granted to you. Well, they, they're saying
1: like they they want this to be home, but they don't. They haven't like completely connected with that, that yet in that in that yeah. final scene. Yeah. And so, I mean, I I mean, as somebody who has just moved recently, like. That's something that I talked to my wife about today. Like, it doesn't really feel like our house yet, you know. Right. And, and part of that is just that, like, we're still in boxes, you know. Like, it doesn't it doesn't feel like we've lived there, you know, long enough to have everything the way we want it.
0: It's not going to feel like home until you blast in every room. That's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> until
1: my house smells like the takeoff, I don't think uh, it will truly feel feel like home.
0: What do you think of the episode, Ben?
1: Favorite episode of the season so far. Whoa, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was a like a a rock 'em sock 'em adventure. I agree that there's been some unevenness leading up to this, but this idea that it is going to be more of an episodic series that has some larger questions that we, you know, answer over the course of seasons and multi multi episode arcs. Still being a part of it, like this this felt like it really like scratched a lot of the itches of classic Star Trek for me, and um, I really liked it. I just I, I thought it was well written, well executed, uh, super solid.
0: I feel like this episode could have been three episodes We're given so much of a look out the window and see how awesome the future is. You okay. know there are people on this crew who would be almost a mirror universe riker from parallels character in a i don't want to be on discovery i want to be over there and i would do anything to be over there like i want to be (laughs) in the future why am i cooped up on this fucking antique
1: (laughs) yeah you don't join starfleet if you want to like live in live in the past right
0: (laughs) that's what i'm saying like this is this is like you and me finding out that Star Trek is real and we could go and live there if we wanted to mm-hmm. and choosing instead uh, to stay and do our podcast. There's got well, to be... This podcast is pretty great. There, there's There's got to be some people on the disco straining against the idea of of remaining and I would like to yeah. meet them.
1: Yeah, that,
0: that would be a great episode
1: arc. But uh, I think uh, before we get to that, we're going to have to get to the end of this episode, Adam, and the next step on that journey is seeing if we have any P1s in the inbox.
0: I'm going to attempt to read a P1 or die trying. (laughs) Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Daniel, and it's to Miriam. Or possibly Mirjam. (laughs) But I'm guessing, and I think Ben agrees... Probably Miriam. The message goes like this. Hi Shatz! You are adding another pip to your robe, and you took a promotion from the lower decks to bridge duty. Congratulations! Wow. That means that our entire crew is beaming back to where we started our greatest trek, the Vulcan landscape. (laughs) I couldn't be happier and more excited to start this new season with you. I love you, Daniel. Well, congrats, Miriam. Uh, it
1: sounds like uh, it sounds like an an academia uh, kind of promotion. Academia is the one where getting a new opportunity means you have to move somewhere else, right?
0: I I read this as Miriam is finally starting a landscaping business. Oh, <laughs> uh, where the where the lines are very straight and Vulcan-like. <laughs> a lot of xeriscaping. escaping, Low water environment on Falcon. I'm glad Daniel came to us because uh, we love celebrating uh, an extra pip. Yeah. Give out more pips everywhere. That's what we say. What'd you think of the Admiral uniform in this episode? Speaking of pips. I liked it. I like the cut. Yeah. The handsome uniform. I like the Admiral
1: uniform a lot more than I like the regular walking around Starfleet uniforms.
0: Uh, Agree.
1: Yeah. Our next P1 is from Michael Murnum, and it's to the Magic Angel Exosuit, and it goes like this. I am sending this message from two weeks before the U.S. election into the far-flung future, and I need to know, computer, life readings? Is there life there? Anywhere? Um, yeah, (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) I mean, technically... We haven't totally unclenched by any means.
0: Uh, no, yeah. Maybe, maybe check in after January 20th. That's what I'd say. Yeah. This is still a, very much a Michael Myers situation. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, if you would like to uh, send a message to the past or to the future... Send it to maximumfun.org slash Jembotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a promotional message. And we really appreciate it because uh, it helps us keep the lights on around here.
0: I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with factor meals and don't sleep on their smoothies either i got six of these in the box this week mango tropical fruit strawberry or banana they're all amazing they're like meal supplements i can enjoy while i'm on the go head to factormeals.com slash trek 50 and use the code trek 50 to get 50 percent off again that's the code trek 50 at factormeals.com slash trek 50 to get 50 percent off
1: and uh, I recommend it, Uh, it works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
1: <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one.
0: Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks.
1: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating.
0: Find us by searching for the
1: word secretly in your podcast app.
0: And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Larkin! I did. We spent a lot of the
1: last episode talking about Dr. Pollard. And mm-hmm. there's another medical officer that I saw twice in this episode. Once when it cuts to the like hallway and the crew is gathering to look out the windows at all the weird ships when they first get to Starfleet HQ. And then again, I see her in the scene in the shuttle bay where Saru is like, so bad news. You've all been let go. She is a an older lady. She mm-hmm. is like substantially shorter than anyone else on the crew. And I wonder i wonder a ton about her. Is she a, another person that could have been chief medical officer but isn't for some reason? Is she like, what's she doing? What's her deal? I want to know all about that, that lady. What is her deal? And where's Dr. Pollard? She's not in the shuttle bay.
0: <laughs> nope. She's like, fuck y'all. I'm on lunch break. <laughs> She's not getting reassigned. <laughs> either that or she's already left maybe she was the first one to go yeah maybe there's no advancement opportunities around here maybe Dr. Pollard uh,
1: was like hey book do you need a medical officer on your ship because I'm in a in the market for a CMO job <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm interested in getting into space veterinarian ship <laughs> maybe, maybe I can take care of the animals you're trying to save yeah so she's my Edward Larkin. My Edward Larkin, I think, is going to be non. She seems to be able to operate in such a way where she could do whatever she wants. Mm-hmm. She, uh, I mean, she's excited to go on this away mission. She's psyched at the opportunity to to see more Barzans, and then she just makes the decision. I'm out. I'm staying on the seed ship, and uh, and I'm going to make it about you, Michael Burnham, in the process. <laughs> and that's it. I think when yeah. you can act with that kind of freedom in an episode, uh, you're definitely larkening to me. And uh what's probably gonna be the last time to uh to give her the Edward Larkin. I mean, there's a hug and a hope to see you later type of ending, but uh I doubt it. I think this is it. it she would be a cool, like, once a season recurring character kind of person, I think. Where do you think the seed ship is going? I don't know. Because She mentions going back to Barzan, the planet. But yeah. that's not where the ship is going, is it?
1: I, th- I think eventually you've gotta you've gotta relinquish the seed ship. So
0: I don't yeah, I don't get it. I don't know where they're driving it.
1: Hopefully not into any more ion storms.
0: <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on, Vince Nan, why don't you uh, not steer for the Ion storm? <laughs> Well, Adam, uh, the next episode, I
1: uh, I could not find a promo for it, but I did find a they they have one scene from it at the end of the ready room program mm-hmm. uh, that Will Wheaton hosts. It's called Scavengers, and uh, the scene I I, I watched is uh, Saru and a big McLaughlin group where he kind of meets a bunch of other captains from this uh, era of Starfleet, and they sort of get read in on the existence of the spore drive. But it's a big secret.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the spore drive's out of the bag in this scene. <laughs> Imagine yeah. thinking you have the baddest-ass ship in Starfleet. You're, <laughs> you're getting, you're getting the, the group of captains back together, the captains of the round table yeah and and this new guy shows up with like like saru basically took the toyota corolla to the cars and coffee meet, and everyone everyone with ferraris is looking at him like he's driving a piece of shit but and then he pops the hood and they're like
1: oh my god what
0: that's exactly the vibe a v20 in there what is that yeah yeah everyone's stoked that's the vibe (laughs) Interesting
1: to see what Scavengers winds up being all about. Uh, But that we will have to leave for next week. And we'll leave it with Rob's from here. The greatest discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Who is an amazing cook with an amazing YouTube channel that you all need to go check out? If you're looking for more Trek, go back and listen to some of our off season episodes. We cover comics, we cover all sorts of stuff. Great interviews in there, too. And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. That account is run by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thanks, Bill. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Maximumfun.org
0: Comedy and culture.
1: Artist owned. Audience supported.